It is great to be here this morning. I have heard much about this church. Um, you can't be around Joel for any length of time where he doesn't talk about this church, his love for all of you, and really just, just the evidence of grace. Um, it's one thing to hear about a church, and then it's another thing when you actually get to be with them. So I feel like, well, I've heard, and now I've seen. And seeing is so sweet to be here with you. And we, as Joel's referenced, we actually have a fair amount of connections uh, both in your church and also in this area. So the Shuri family have been dear friends uh, for over 20 years. Uh, Tim and Gaylene have been dear friends and means of grace to Kim and I. Uh, we're going to be having lunch with them afterwards. I told him, I said, I'm so distracted by wanting to get to that lunch, I, I have to remember I need to preach first. <laughs> Um, but maybe it'll be brief so that we can get to lunch earlier. Um, so they are just dear friends. I've known Joel since he was a teenager, uh, so that's a long time. And to see God's grace in your life, brother, uh, is profound. And Joel really be has become um, just one of those men that ministers to my life. We gather together as senior pastors uh, in our region, and Joel's um, insight, his care, is just always very evident, and just your pastoral care of this church, uh, I've learned from, so thank you for that. But that's not our only connections. Uh, the Petit family were neighbors with us for a number of years, so Everett and Lori also played a key role in our life. Uh, so we know their family, our kids grew up a little bit together, uh, so that was great. Uh, Doug Nottich was a student I taught at Delaware County Christian School, so Doug knows me really well. Uh, so if you want to know some other things, Doug sat in my classes, you know, that's four or five days a week for, you know, a couple years going on. Uh, you'll learn about people that way. Um, so they're also dear friends. And then the other thing is my wife and I actually started our married life in Newark. I was a student at the University of Delaware. She put me through my last two years at Delaware. She worked for the college um, and put me through school. So we got our first two years uh, started here. We had Park Place Apartments uh, right off of 896. And um, so I'm, a, I'm a, a Blue Hen alumni. I still don't even know what a Blue Hen is. But I'm not sure like that's the, the most masculine mascot. So, uh, but we're Blue Hens. Uh, but it's great to be with you. If you'd open up your Bibles, please, to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And the book of Galatians, just to give you a, a little bit of context, uh, I think it's the book of Galatians, probably more than any other book, started the Protestant Reformation under Martin Luther. And if you think about what that means and what that part of history means for us, it, it was that that really brought the Bible back to God's people. I mean, prior to that, the Bible was really just held by the leaders of the church. And also with the Protestant Reformation came the restoration of the Bible, of God's word to God's people. And, and it brought the precious truths, truths that we love today, truths like this. We're saved by grace alone, saved through faith alone, and saved in Christ alone. And all those alones are really important. We are saved by grace alone, which means we're not contributing to our salvation. We're not earning our salvation. We don't, in one sense, keep our salvation. God keeps us. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and in our mighty Savior, Christ alone. Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. This great call to freedom and 
The word freedom is actually used twice in chapter 5. And it was written to rescue those who were losing their grip on the gospel. It was a church, it was a group of people, actually an area, and they were starting to lose their grip on this gospel of grace. And so Paul writes this very passionate letter, some call it his burning sword, to this area, to these Christians who were losing their grip on the gospel. And it's also written to protect us from losing our grip on the gospel. Folks, we all have a tendency to drift from the grace of God. And actually, sometimes the longer you are a Christian, the more you start to think about your own maturity and obedience and character, the more you start to import yourself into your salvation. Right? And I'm not where I should be. Or maybe I think I am where I should be, and I'm starting to congratulate myself. That If you congratulate yourself in your Christian life, you're drifted from grace. If you live in condemnation, you may be drifting from grace. And this book is written to establish God's people in the grace of God and to strengthen their grip of the gospel. I've entitled this morning's message, and that's background, I've entitled this morning's message, Life in the Family of God. Life in the Family of God. And here's the main point. True spirituality, what does it mean to be truly spiritual? True spirituality leads us to care for one another leads us to care for one another so Galatians chapter 6 verses 1 through 5 hear God's word brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. You have preserved for us you have given to Christians for thousands of years. Lord, what we have read has benefited people for thousands of years. In all cultures, all walks of life. So God, thank you that we have something that's not new and novel. We have something that's true and tested and powerful. And Lord, I pray that the power of your word would strengthen us today and in and instruct us today and lead us today and it would have a good effect on us today as it has had for millions of Christians over thousands of years. So thank you for the reliability of your word, the faithfulness of your word and now Lord I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word for the good of your people whom you have purchased with your own precious blood. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. In the previous section uh, of Galatians in chapter 5, Paul talks about life in the flesh as compared to life in the spirit. It's one of the paradigms he explains in Galatians. And life in the spirit, he articulates, is primarily characterized by character, a person's character, and their conduct. 
It's not characterized by experiences, spiritual gifts, or emotional encounters. Now, I believe all those are important. I believe, I believe experience with God are choice gifts from God. And we should long for that. I believe probably your pastoral team prays every week when you come in here that you would have an experience with Christ. That you'd be filled with the Spirit. That there would be even something that would also touch your emotions. Those are all good things. That we would see spiritual gifts stirred and operating. Those are good things. They should be valued and received with gratefulness. But true spirituality is more than that. True spirituality specifically in this text, expresses itself in care for others. In care for others. And what Paul's doing in this text is reminding them of their family responsibilities to one another. Right? You're a church family. Now you think about a family, a family's got privileges and blessings. There's, it's good to be part of the family, and it's got responsibilities and duties. It calls for commitment. As a family, you've got to work through problems. It's not always easy. I mean, even the people you love most, sometimes you have the most conflict with. So let's never be surprised when that hits us in a church. Right? If you're really going to be close, you're going to work through stuff. You're going to need to work through stuff. Because you don't have just superficial relationships. If you're newer here, get involved here. You're going to find people that, wow, they're, they're really interested in my life. It's not comfortable to sort of keep a distance. We want to know one another. We want to live our lives out together as friends, as family. And so he's reminding them of their family responsibilities. Philip Ryken, in his commentary on Galatians, said this, True spirituality is not an individualistic quest for self-fulfillment. The life of the Spirit flourishes for the sake of others. So I have two points this morning. First, spirit-filled Christians restore sinners. Spirit-filled Christians restore sinners. They don't ignore those caught in sin. You think that can be a temptation, right? This is awkward. You've just been caught in sin. What do I say? And it could feel awkward. What do we do when someone's caught in sin? So we don't, we don't ignore them. We don't sweep it under the rug. We don't self-righteously judge them. Wow, can you believe they did that? That would indicate a drift from the gospel. And actually an expression of pride. Self-righteously judge or sinfully gossip about them. We don't do any of those things. What we do is we restore them. Look at verse 1. Brothers... A family name, brothers, if anyone, and I think anyone can be caught, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this idea of restore the sinner, it's sort of like a broken bone. There's something broken in that person. And therefore we need to restore it. It needs to be set. A dislocated joint, it needs to be popped back into place. And actually, folks, if you think about it, that can be painful. 
if you're restoring someone, it, it can be painful for them. You know, like, you're taking my arm. I want to I protect what's broken. I want to hide it. Maybe I even hide it in shame. No, I, I got to take it out, and I'm going to look at it. And now this is going to hurt. I mean, that's almost like what we're saying. This is going to hurt a bit. <laughs> this is going to hurt a bit. But I'm doing it. Why? Because it needs to be done. And if it's not done, this will hinder you from living life. Right? It's not good to have a, a bone that heals poorly. What's it going to do for the rest of your life? It's going to cause a problem because it's not functioning correctly. So it takes courage. I'm going to, I'm going to come in. Well, that's, that hurt. You just hurt. This hurt a little bit. It can be painful. So therefore, it takes courage to restore a sinner. But it is necessary, and I think clearly we are our brother's keeper, aren't we? You know, that, that accusation question that was asked, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are. We are our brother's keeper. So it's restore the sinner. And then how is very important. How do we restore the sinner? Well, look again at verse 1. Restore him, okay, in a spirit of gentleness. And by the way, while you're doing that, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So restore him how? Gently. Folks, this is where this just jumps right back into chapter 5, verse 23. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23 gentleness. We restore gently. Gentleness is, is the picture of kind and tender-hearted. And think of folks, why do we do it that way? Why do we restore gently? Because it's how God restores us, isn't it? It's how he restores us. And, and actually, when we do this gently, it actually images who Jesus is. Listen to what it said in Matthew 11, verse 29, when Jesus says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know if you've talked about Gentle and Lowly as a book. Dane Ortland wrote. It was a bestseller, a Christian book. It's an outstanding book. Anything that Dane Ortland writes is outstanding. My family makes fun of me that I'm now become a Dane Ortland groupie. Because <laughs> I read Gentle and Lowly. I read Defiant Grace. And I read Deeper. Deeper was my favorite book of his three. So it was not the most popular one. But I was like into these things. And actually my family... Was it last year or the year before? They actually got me, they made this massive poster. I mean, it's three feet high. It's in my office right now. And it's a blown up picture of Dane Ortland. <laughs> and then they signed it. He did not do this. They signed it like, to my dear friend Warren, warm feelings from Dane, your friend Dane. And it's in my office. Because they're like, Dad, stop quoting Dane Ortland. We got it. You like the guy. 
Gentle and Lowly is an outstanding book. If you want an introduction to, to Christ's character, it's the one way, Dan points out, he describes himself. Gentle and lowly. So how do we respond to those caught, anyone, caught in any sin? Which seems to me, it could be scandalous. It could be deep. It could be consistent. Anyone caught in any sin, we who are spiritual restore him gently. Why? It images Christ. It images the grace we've received ourselves. How else? Humbly. Humbly. Keep watch. Humbly. That we're not better. Right? Probably hear that phrase, except for the grace of God, there go I. Part of our time away uh, as the pastors uh, at the RAE that we just had, uh, Andy Farmer talked, spoke on the life of John Newton. And so much was like John Newton knew who he was and was always amazed that he was saved. There was just a, a humble, a, a humility about this. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12. Paul writes this, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We were the, together for the gospel conference. John Piper got up and he says this was his last one preaching as a ordained pastor, or he was still working as a pastor before he retired. And he got up and he just started this whole message and has stayed with me ever since. I thought, this is, our, this is our anthem at the end of our lives. He said, I'm amazed that I haven't shipwrecked my faith. I'm amazed that I haven't imploded my ministry. And I'm paraphrasing. I'm amazed that I haven't destroyed my marriage. See, that's a man at the end of life is congratulating God, not himself. He's understanding the grace of God. That's humility. How do we restore sinners humbly knowing that there's sin in our hearts too? You know, folks, it's often easy to see sin in the lives of others and see an easy way out. But our sin all of a sudden becomes very complicated. Right? You know, like your sin, now that's that's a frontier. I mean, you need all sorts of you know, help and patience. But their sin will just do this, this, and this. Just knock it off. Stop it. Right? We can see other sin in that way, but our sin somehow is more complicated. Here's what I think about for all of us. Somewhere we're all stuck. Right? You, have, you will always have something in common with anybody you're helping. They're stuck somewhere. Maybe it's very serious, but you know what? Probably you're stuck somewhere else. Ask your spouse or ask a close friend. <laughs> right? Yeah, there's an area you're not really growing exponentially <laughs> and fast. It wasn't like my wife and I will have these conversations. Sometimes she'll say to me, okay, now what can we do? This is usually about administrative things. She's highly administrative. She goes, now what can we do to make sure this will never happen again? And I said, well, I can die. <laughs> like, that, that is a guarantee this will never happen again. Prior to that, no clue. Like, well, just write it down. Just remember. I'm like, sweetie, my secretaries have put boxes in my doorway so that I would remember to bring them home. I step over them. 
Folks, we're all stuck somewhere. So how do we restore another messy, stuck sinner? Gently and humbly. John Stott said this insightful comment. Our conduct to others is governed by our opinion of ourselves. If you think you're all that, you're going to relate that way to others. But if you realize all of its grace, all of its grace, my sanctification is fueled by the grace of God. My salvation was by the grace of God. The fact that my eyes are open still to this day baffles me. Why are other people's eyes not open to the grace of God? Because God opened my eyes. I'm not smarter. I'm not better. Not more intelligent. None of that. God has just been merciful. Oh, now let that inform how we restore another. So may we have the courage to do so. Because it will take courage. We could easily ignore. You know, we could delegate it. Well, that, that's what a pastor should do. No, no. We're all called to this, right? There's no super class of Christians. Why? We're all indwelt by the Spirit, right? Priesthood of all believers. This is not something we delegate to pastors or to other leaders. Because we can all walk by the Spirit, showing the fruit of the Spirit. So actually, if you're applying chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, you're now in that qualification of those who are spiritual. You are walking by the Spirit, therefore you're not gratifying the desires of the flesh. But in verse 17, you recognize in your own life that the flesh and the Spirit are opposed to one another, and you don't always do what you want to do. But God's working in you, and now the fruits of the Spirit begin to dwell in you. So now you who are spiritual, according to Galatians 5, Restore those who are caught. Folks, true spirituality leads us to care for others by restoring sinners. Second, spirit-filled Christians carry burdens of others. Spirit-filled Christians carry burdens. Look at verse 2. So we restore, we restore, watch ourselves, we restore, and then what else do we do? We bear. We bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We bear one another's burdens. Here's the assumption. I think very clear in Scripture. We all have burdens we are not meant to bear alone. You have burdens you're not meant to bear alone. This is counter-American culture, right? Independence, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, Keep distance, right? It's against our own culture and probably against our own hearts. I should fix my own problems. But we all have burdens we are not meant to bear alone. Now, there is a contrast here in verses 5 and 2. So if you look at verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. Well, wait, wait. There it's telling me to bear my own load. And here you're telling me, Bear one another's burdens. Well, which is it? Well, bear your own load is more in the sense of we do have to take responsibility for ourselves. We can't blame others for our sin. Right? That's one of the ways that people go to actually deconstruct their faith. The church has let me down, which the church can. Right? Only God's safe. Only God doesn't let us down. 
We, you, you want to be a safe church. You want anybody who comes in here to feel safe. They can talk about anything, and they're loved, and they're accepted, and they're going to be helped, and people are going to walk with them and walk with them loyally. But, folks, only God's ultimately safe. So you can say, well, I can't blame shift to others. So I have to take responsibility for my own actions and my own reactions. That's very important in this. So we don't blame shift, but still there are these burdens that we're not meant to bear alone. I think grief can be a burden you're not meant to bear alone. Grief can be overwhelming. We've had certain challenges and it's like we sat together and said, well, we love each other and we trust God. Don't know if I'll ever be happy again. Just burden. Can I be happy? I'm trusting, but can I be joyful? And boy, it was good to have one another bear those burdens together. It was very important to bear those burdens together. Uh, when we had our last child born, it had looked like Kim had a miscarriage. And um, we were, it was just this dramatic day, traumatic day. We're about to tell the kids, mom's pregnant with number five. We're going on vacation. Amy's guinea pig's about to have babies. This is a great day. Like all these wonderful things are happening. Come back from church. Amy's guinea pig dies in childbirth. All the babies are dead. They're crying on the, on the dresser. They're crying on, on the, in front of you know, our you know, bed thing or hope chest in front of our bed. And they're crying. I'm coming in. What's, what's everybody crying? Well, Amy's guinea pig died. Next, you know, Kim's cries out. Goes to the bathroom, blood, perfusing it. And I have to come out and say to the kids, well, it's, we were about to tell you mom's pregnant. It seems like she just had a miscarriage. Going to drive you guys to vacation. Got to take mom to the doctor tomorrow. The next day we came back. As we came back and we start to talk through this, they go to the doctor and there's still a heartbeat. But here's what happened. I became extremely fearful. I said, okay, heartbeat, but has my child been damaged? And then what will it be like if I'm raising a handicapped child? And all of a sudden, I implode it. And folks, to my shame in one sense, and if you can, you can get here, <laughs> say, okay, and I thought, you know, Lord, death is easier to resolve than a life of change. I can resolve this, and it has no impact. But as severely handicapped children, we had been where Johnny Erickson and friends was, and we had seen parents with severely disabled children, and, and how life-consuming that was. And then I was like, what kind of man am I that I'd rather deal with death than deal with that? Am I even a Christian? Folks, I was a pastor. How selfish could this be? Do you see what's happening? And I carried that burden all alone for a month. So my wife finally said to me, what's wrong with you? There's something going on. Because you're kind and polite, but you're distant. The moment I told her the burden, it was lifted. This is a natural temptation. I'm dealing with an unknown. God moved mightily. And it was like that. I needed someone else to bear that burden with me of my own thought life. 
because if you can imagine, I was ashamed. And also, oh wait, temptation common. Maybe that's a common temptation. Maybe there's an answer. And all of a sudden the burden was lifted. Folks, grief, fears are burdens that we can have others lift with us. Health burdens, right? Sometimes you're in a health situation. You need people to bear that burden with you. Financial burdens, relational burdens, discouragement of soul. What if you're just discouraged? I'm so grateful I have a pastoral team and I have friends in the church as well. It's not just the pastoral team. They carry burdens with me. We have had certain challenges along the way, and there's people that know those challenges, and they're like, how are you doing today? There's a man every day that comes in the church right now and says, okay, how are you doing? How's your wife doing? How can I pray for you? He doesn't. He goes, look, I'm not looking for a lot of information. If you want to give me information, that's fine. I'm not trying to pry, but I want you to know I understand, and I see your burden. I can see it on your face sometimes, and how can I pray for you? Do you know how that helps me carry that burden? Folks, we want to excel at this. See, we need help, right? You need help, and we need to help. So when people say, well, I don't need to be part of a small group or part of a church, I'm saying, well, then how do you fulfill Galatians 6.2? How do you fulfill bearing one another's burdens, which assumes you have burdens that you're not meant to bear alone either. Folks, we need, we need help and we need to help others. This is why isolation and independence are unbiblical. It's, it's, it's an absolute statement, I would say. It's unbiblical. Isolation and independence are unbiblical. It's why we need a local church, a church family. We need to work this out, care for one another. And, and what's Paul right here? Well, it fulfills the law of Christ. It's very interesting in a letter condemning the law as a means of justification, he now references the law. I mean, this letter is going after legalism and hey, don't think you can work your way to heaven and why are you leaving you know, the gospel that's so clear? And he just hammers that over and over again this letter of great freedom. But now he all of a sudden comes in and says, oh, but this, this liberty actually it's fulfilled the law of Christ, which is caring for one another. See, it shows us the intent of freedom. Right? A lot of talk about freedom. A country that celebrates freedom. Liberty. Right? At least how we want it to, else we want to personally experience it. But we celebrate that in a good way. This shows the intent of freedom. It's not selfishness or indulgence, okay? It's free to do what? To genuinely love others. If you're in Galatians 6, just look across the page to 5.13. Paul's hammering this in verse, in fact, I'm going to go to 5.1. For freedom, think about Paul. This is like his Braveheart moment. Probably I shouldn't reference movies. You know, this is him on the horse. Freedom, freedom. You know, he's just crying out. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery, works righteousness, trying to earn your salvation. And then in verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Hence, he goes after licentiousness. 
Do not use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. See, what we're free to is generally care for other people and not just ourselves. Folks, this is Christ's will for us. It's what he wants for us, that we would carry one another's burdens and so fulfill this law, that we would carry one another's burdens and really care for our brothers and sisters. Again, Philip Ryken said it this way, the fact that God carries our burdens, and he does, he's the primary carrier, however, does not mean that he is the only one with whom we should share them. Often the way God lightens our load is by getting other Christians to do some of the carrying. If we are discouraged in the Christian life, it may be because we are trying to carry too much weight all by ourselves. God has given us one another. Every believer is called to be one of God's bellhops, always ready to pick up someone else's baggage. And we do that. What are we doing? We're fulfilling the law of Christ. We're doing Christ's will for us. Listen to what Jesus says in John 13. There's two verses, two texts here. I love John 13 through 17. You know, five chapters of the Bible devoted to the last night of Christ's life before the cross. Twice the night before, he's going to pay for all of our sins. What does he tell his disciples? John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then again in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. He loved messy people that night, didn't he? Think about it. He prayed for those that were going to walk away and disappoint him that night. He prayed for them. And you know what else he did? He looked through the corridors of time and he prayed for those yet to come. He prayed for your wandering heart. Prayed for you. And he God's omniscience, which I think, okay, that means he knows us by name, sees us personally. He said, oh, Lord, for those to come, he prays for us as well. So may we love one another as Christ loved us. So how do we do that, folks? Well, pray, share with you. People that pray for me mean so much. Serve. Sometimes it's just somebody does something for you that just removes a burden. Encourage. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so you not, may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You might not be caught. That sin that so easily entangles. So what do you do? Encourage. That's part of the ways when I talk carry burdens, encouragement helps people carry burdens. You want to know that God sees. Folks, how do we carry burdens? Sometimes it's supporting them. Sometimes it's listening. Right? Job's, friend, Job's friends got a good start and a bad ending. They listened for a while, a few days, and all of a sudden they said, okay, well, We've got this all figured out. We have God figured out. We have the economy of blessing and cursings figured out. So now, Job, you must have hidden sin. 
and they start to counsel. And they actually go from friends to become tormentors. They should have just listened. And you know what else they could have done? Weep, Corinthians, weep with those who weep. There's a time there's no words. We weep. I'm a, a chaplain in Marlton for the police department. And as chaplains, they train us, the, they call it the ministry of presence. They say, sometimes when you go, you don't talk. And I went into a home where a young boy committed suicide. The body was still in the house when I was there. The police are investigating because it's also a crime scene. They don't know. They can't assume. So they said, chaplain's going I sat on the floor and probably didn't say anything. I'm sorry for your loss. Eventually we started talking. What did he do? Oh, he liked playing soccer. Started to converse with him a little bit. It was just the ministry of presence. Folks, sometimes we talk too quickly. Weep with those that weep. Encourage the faint-hearted. Right? We do those kinds of things. And folks, that's how we carry one of those burdens. Folks, there are barriers. And then I would say, on the other side of this, maybe you're carrying burdens here right now. There are barriers to share. Sometimes we don't want to burden someone else. I didn't want to burden my wife with my fears 25 years ago. I just didn't want to burden her with my fears. But I really did need her. (laughs) I really did. Sometimes we don't want to burden someone else. God calls us to carry one another's burdens. Sometimes we can think we should be able to handle it. After all, we're Americans. No, folks. Okay? Not supposed to handle everything. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you feel shame. If I told someone, what will they think of me? How will this play out if they know something that actually might be shameful? Well, folks, if we're a community that understands the gospel... We'll resolve that. Um, Maybe you've gotten burned by sharing things with people in the past. I pray that if you have that, like I've done that, I pray that God would heal you and that you wouldn't put up walls of self-protection. It will shrivel life. It won't protect life. It will shrivel life. Do I understand? Yeah, and that's why I think we need to be tender to one another because we may not know someone's whole history, They might share to you out of such vulnerability. You don't know the courage it took for them to do that. (laughs) So let's listen well, ask questions, make sure we understand. I always tell folks, it's not your first question that matters. It's often your second. First question gets information. How are you doing? The second question now tells you, did you listen to what they actually said? What verbal clues did they just give you? Is there another follow-up question before we start to, to just bring Scripture to bear? Folks, Romans 8.28 is one of the most glorious verses in the Bible. All things work together. It can also be a misused verse, right? Somebody's coming with a problem and we just throw Romans. It's the Romans 8.28 band-aid. And yet they're still hurting. Let's get them to Romans 8.28 gently patiently and then let the balm and the 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 hope of Romans 8 28 really function so we look for people if you have burdens look for someone spiritual that you can share why because true spirituality leads us to care for 
others. Let's pray.